coming up on this week's episode of the Data Ops Podcast. They see it as their special sauce. This is AI is our is what's fueling everything. But when you do get to a point when you're like Facebook and you have like two thirds of the world's population on your platform, you do have some responsibility to make things fair. Hey guys, welcome to the Data Ops Podcast. I'm your host, Banjo Biami. And I'm Victoria Guido. And today we have a great special guest, so why don't you introduce yourself? Hello everyone, I'm Ayadeli Odebella. I'm a data scientist at Samba Safety, and I'm based out of Denver, Colorado. All right, yeah, see, we've got fun spread out now, now that we're so distributed. And I, I met you at, and I virtually met you at the Juneteenth conference, was it two weeks ago? Yeah. So, and you talked a lot about machine learning and then AI, and I really wanted to kind of bring that back, like how, I guess, machine learning, big data AI has been systematically used to oppress, like, people of color, Black people, all sorts of bias. So I kind of wanted to talk about that today and get your, your viewpoint on those kind of topics. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat. There's a, it's always hard because it's almost easier to say <laughs> which aspects of uh, which marginalized people have not <laughs> been or ways we have not been, uh, uh, you know, harmed by some of this technology, especially artificial intelligence. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to dig in today. So as a software engineer in data space, we always like big data, we use data for everything, but Clearly, having lots of big data on things that doesn't always result to the right outcome. So maybe can you talk about like why are we like obsessed with big data and like how it's driving kind of decisions, but then those decisions don't actually always make the best kind of outcome, especially when it comes to people of color, race, and whatnot. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems is that we kind of lumped data in with a lot of software engineering. Um, but it is different. So I do try and think of it genuinely like a science. So um, for example, there are a lot of experiments you can do as far as the internet's opened up, you know, millions if not billions of uh, potential users for a lot of companies. There's a lot of experiments you can do if you have a small app company like A-B testing or push app notifications that if we were to think about this as far as like academia and science, you wouldn't be able to ethically run some of these uh, experiments. So um, for example, there was like the Facebook research trying to alter your timeline to see if it changes your mood. If this were an academic study, you would need like uh, consent forms from people. There would be a lot more required um, and they would have to disclose a lot more and be more transparent. So I do think that's one of the biggest issues is that we wanted to just move quickly and break things without understanding like we have so much, much larger scale of people who are going to be impacted by this. And honestly, as we've developed AI, people are impacted in a more important way. Like this is housing applications you can get denied for, jobs you can get denied for. Um, it's a lot, it's more impactful and it's a, a bigger risk you're taking than maybe someone doesn't like the blue button on, in, on your like A-B test for a website. Yeah, because like when I think of like collecting data, like they put like all this legalese in front of you. Oh, you can only use this, but like not many people read through that. And I don't know if those are really enforced sometimes. I know does anyone try to use it for the API? They try to say, oh, only use it for this purposes. But you see 
you know, the famous examples Cambridge Analytica, how they used the data in a way that wasn't intended to be used. So mm -hmm. enforcing like these kind of like, I guess, safeguard or that people would actually adhere to is definitely a challenge. Yeah, I think one of the things that's kind of missing, and I'm not sure if it's a policy fix or more of a mindset fix, but we have to take more care <laughs> and be more considerate in how we're building some of these products. Um, I think that really is the biggest aspect. We maybe didn't realize that it would touch so many parts of people's lives when, you know, a lot of these tech, a lot of this tech started to develop. Um, but I think we just need to be more considerate in how it's going to be used in malicious ways. So I think about, um, you know, preparing for bad actors and these unintended consequences first versus like, yeah, well, we'll just build it and we'll think about it in V2, <laughs> you know, like we'll, we'll push out a patch or something. And I'm like, we can't really do that <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And I'm curious if you have thoughts on how you can build some of those ethics and values into your pipeline, right, for data engineering? Yeah. I think it's mostly setting standards and organization. So I've been in a couple different places now in data science roles, and there's very few, um, like a comp, like common baseline ethics standards. So I've helped people try to develop this within their own organizations, and it does take executives and data teams coming together to say, here's what we deem as acceptable. What is ethical in our scenario may not be the same baseline you would use somewhere else. So it is on an organizational level. And I think that's why it's hard is that it's time and money and effort to kind of set those standards to then adhere to you and then to build into your pipeline. It's uh, a lot of steps to go through. Right. And I think what actually the federal government and sometimes state governments are a little bit better about knowing some of those privacy and data regulations and checking to make sure that it is built into their system. Um, but of course, uh, private industry can be good about this too, and there's ways to do that a little bit faster and more efficient, most likely. Absolutely. I think part of that too is just the speed and at which some of these companies move, um, it's a little bit easy to forget, but at the same time, the ones who are doing it well have kind of thought about this from the beginning. Um, that's something I've noticed as well. Yeah, one interesting thing is to think of is from the developer standpoint, like policy as code. So we like the like infrastructure as code, data as code, but how about like policy? So maybe thinking of ways and like how we can wrap around policy as a way that could be embedded into a, a software development practice. So engineers on the ground can kind of see what the policy is and utilize that when they're building applications and they run an API against something. Oh, it broke, the, didn't pass this policy check, so the code didn't run. So I think maybe some policy-driven coding might be a way to help in this kind of big data mindset. I think that definitely sets up the infrastructure so that all of the more advanced tools or um, now I'm doing a lot of like machine learning modeling, but pulling in other kinds of data. Um, when you do get to that point, it makes it easier to find things that do meet your standards. So you have some baseline <laughs> level of, uh, you know, let's say a consumer comes to you and says, hey, what are you doing to protect um, my data and how it's used in this model that you're using to then personalize your product for me? Um, so that may be more of an industry example, but uh, setting some of these baselines, I think, is is the biggest <laughs> first step for a lot of companies. I know the government, Chloe, you mentioned the government has kind of standards. I know the, a, lot of, a lot of programs kind of maybe have their own kind of mythology of like how they 
collect it and use it, or maybe they held a higher standard for government uh, programs. We can maybe give some insight on that. Yeah, well, I think to her point, the government like thinks with these principles in mind, and the, the groups and organizations that are doing it well have those standards clear and upfront and built into their pipelines. I know that Homeland Security has a automated binary testing tool for mobile applications where you can upload your binary file and it will scan it for what permissions is this app asking for, um, outline if those permissions are really necessary. And I think it checks for various open source security controls as well. And I'm sure you know there are more and more tools out there for this type of thing. And, and that's something that we should be building into our pipelines. I think too, a lot of um, companies and industry can take some notes from some re regulated industries. So um, right now I am working in kind of a then crossover between transportation and insurance. So my company, a lot of our customers, some of them are big fleet companies like Amazon Prime or like Uber or Lyft, but we're also working with a lot of insurance companies who are insuring drivers. And I have to personally be like FCRA certified. So um, Fair Credit Reporting Act, I have to keep that up to date every two years. There's a certain amount of explainability that we have to have within our models that I think is kind of lacking um, on that internet company, um, app company side. So even past companies I've been at, there have been almost no regulations or kind of standards that I had to adhere to as far as the kinds of models I could run, the kinds of training data I could use. And now it's very, yeah, we could get, you know, maybe two, 3% more higher accuracy or improve whatever our evaluation metric is but at the expense of explainability and we just can't take the risk. We're like, we'll use a simpler model. We'll use a linear regression if we have to, to be very upfront and be able to provide consumers, you know, let's say they don't get a job, they don't get hired somewhere. They want to know why we have to say, okay, you've had X many suspensions on your record and give them a certain number of reasons why they were not hired or something. Yeah, the explainability aspects definitely important, especially when you're thinking of systems that might be like, to deny someone a housing loan, like it's because they lived in a certain area code and that area code is predominantly black. So I think having that explainability aspect definitely signs a light on like how these models are used and what the training was like and why it's giving that output. Exactly that. I think it's, it's difficult because unfortunately, as humans, we kind of see an output from a computer and just kind of believe it. Um, it's very easy to just, well, it's right. Like we kind of default to assuming that whatever output that is, is correct. But there are so many cases that we weren't necessarily building these models to be the end all be all decision, but working with humans and humans just kind of, well, the computer says that, so I'm not going to maybe question it. I do think we have to take a little bit more agency in that. And I think it is from, you know, AI is so widespread, it's basically going to touch every industry. Everyone kind of needs to be more uh, data literate to begin with. And then starting to question and starting to just be skeptical about these results. Yeah, I agree. And it's a little scary to me when states are passing laws about the approval to use AI in systems for criminal justice. And I, my questions are, well, who verified this algorithm? <laughs> like, are we checking this? What is the regulation? Because yeah, there's things for privacy and security, but there's not, I mean, it, that kind of ethics that you need to develop at that level of organization. I want to know a little bit more about how that's being taken care of. Exactly. It is 
kind of terrifying. <laughs> like, I'm, there are so many algorithms out there right now that are being used, like, even just to predict recidivism. And there's a million problems from, you know, using policing data in the United States is just biased in that policing has historically been biased. So your training data is going to be skewed by whatever, uh, you know, essentially system that you're working within. And then on top of that, these systems hardly ever get this feedback anyway. So um, there have been cases where someone sentenced for a longer period of time, they get out, they don't recommit, and that's not given as feedback right back into the model to say, yes, you made this prediction, but you were wrong. So every new person that's going through and uh, is seeing the results of this, but the model doesn't change to really adapt and say, okay, I was wrong here and I was wrong here. How can I make better predictions? So I think that's one of the hardest problems when we're talking about like criminal justice or police thing. Yeah, the feedback loop, definitely. Like I'm thinking about like, I guess this term I'm kind of starting to hear about algorithmic accountability. So that's kind of buying into like, how do you update a model, uh, mm -hmm. explain that model. So maybe can you talk about like what that algorithmic accountability means to you? Yeah, I think the first step really is audits. And that's mostly, it, it comes on the side of the training data as well as the model itself. So I've, I've thought about this a lot and I'm like, look, companies just aren't altruistic. Like if there's not a fine or a regulation or some kind of adverse consequence to not making biased models, there's nothing stopping them from selling money and making them in like, perpetuating this harm. They may not like mean to you or want to own up to it, but um, so the first step with accountability, I think is really making sure that your training data is representative, making sure that the model actually performs well on these smaller groups and not just um, treating everyone else everyone else is like a marginalized person as the edge case and say, um, the 5% chance that someone's black that's using this, we won't, we don't care about how it works. Um, and I do think there needs to be more accountability as far as organizations, um, being able to give consumers away, kind of like with the, uh, consumer reporting agencies, giving consumers a way to dispute what happens. So if an algorithm tells you you can't get a loan for a house, that should not be where it stops. The model said, no, there's nothing else people can do. Um, we have to start building in some of this infrastructure. And what's difficult in areas like housing is that so many of these companies are privately owned. A lot of their models are privately owned. I think the accountability aspect also just coincides with that transparency and openness. So, um, I don't think the vast majority of these models should be private. Um, and I know that like industry hates that because they see it as their special sauce. This is AI is our, is what's fueling everything. But when you do get to a point when you're like Facebook and you have like two thirds of the world's population on your platform, you do have some responsibility to make things fair. Yeah, it definitely seems like that. that oversight is something that's lacking. I know Victoria's mentioned like government definitely has oversight on certain things, but it sounds like some of these other companies are lacking that kind of framework to add oversight to their internal organizations. Exactly like that. Um, 
it's hard because I, I and I've experienced this on on the ground too. You have engineers who kind of enjoy, uh, you know, here here's like what we want from you. You go do it. <laughs> um, I'm I'm in kind of the position where data science is a little different in that we were saying, okay, let's kind of guide some of these decisions, nudge you this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there's always that friction between a lot of people in executive positions and people on the ground. I do think we need tools to kind of bridge that gap. And I think it's a little bit of education. So in, pa- in the past, even I've been asked, hey, can we just make something that predicts gender? Can I? Yes. (laughs) Should I? I'm like, probably not. What's the real use case? Is this actually valuable? Even if it is valuable, is it ethical? Is it considering um, people who are transgender or non-binary? So even for example, like 90% of facial recognition systems just predict gender male, female. So they're selling these algorithms. But if we know that there are tra- people who identify as trans in this world, we know that there is some aspect of that that's wrong. So it's really about just being more considerate, I think. Yeah, to make co- companies more considerate. <laughs> yeah. to do that. <laughs> it's a financial incentive. You see like boycotts going on against like, like Facebook, for example, and then now they're starting to change tune about some of their decisions they've made. So I mm-hmm. think once it starts turning them in the pocketbook, that's the incentive. Yeah. Sometimes that internal dissent, like <laughs> there have been moments where me and my team have been like, we probably shouldn't work on this and we have to frame it in a way that makes them think, oh, it's, you know, a money thing. It's not, <laughs> it's not because we morally don't think it's right sometimes. Sometimes it is both money and morally. Yeah. <laughs> There's usually a financial aspect that you can include and say, you know, we could do this. But the cost to uh, potential revenue, you know, uh, or whatever it is, like there, there's a lot of times where I see some of these products. I'm like, you could have not spent your money on that and have saved face like PR wise. Yeah, absolutely. I think these controls make sense and they benefit everyone, really. You're thinking of including people who might be marginalized, but when you do that, now you're building out a whole ethics framework for your tools that would affect every single person, so. Exactly. Yeah, maybe you, can you talk about like, after the, from a developer standpoint, like what would you do to like, I guess, educate yourself and getting kind of this algorithmic accountability mindset when you're building out projects? Yeah, I think for most people it's about awareness. So um, I have like a laundry list of, of books that really just kind of cover the different areas that um, we see these algorithmic uh, bias, basically. Um, but I also, here's, here's honestly the thing. I don't think there's a lot of tools out there for developers. I don't think there's a lot of technical content, at least I've tried to find some, um, about, okay, cool, I know this is a problem. What do I do? Um, so a lot of times, if you're on like an ML team, um, you know, there's, or if you're in data science, you can talk about sampling and how you stratify that by race and gender and a lot of other factors. Um, technically, we can talk about the features and the feature engineering that we that goes into building these models. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of tools out there that I've found. So shameless self-promotion, that's one of the reasons I'm, so I'm writing about uncovering bias in ML and 
providing code examples so people can, okay, I made this not so great racist model. Here's how I fixed it. So um, it's something that's in the works at the moment, but I do think it'll provide people with a little bit more. I think we are at the point where a lot of people, the awareness is just starting to balloon and people are like, cool, I know, what do I do? And really searching for those, uh, so those some of those tools. Sounds like we need to start a hackathon. <laughs> I'm okay with this. <laughs> I've thought about it. Yeah, let us know when you have that. I definitely want to read it. Share it. Yeah, yeah. Should be out next year. <laughs> Late next year. That's awesome. Baker, did you have uh, other questions you wanted to get to today? I think we covered covered a good ground. I definitely like the the algorithmic accountability, that mindset. I'm now I'm thinking about having a hackathon. <laughs> I'm so down. Like, <laughs> I, I think that's the thing is that we have so many people um, that are very interested in this. And there are some really group, great groups out there. Um, one of the first times I had understood really uh, the problem with like algorithmic bias. So I did my master's in data science and about a month after I went to the data for black lives conference. And it was the first time I had really heard about how models were like racist and biased. And I was like, I just went through two years of grad school. <laughs> well, what are you, what are you talking about? And you know, I had, I took an ethics course that was part of the curriculum, but it was very broad and didn't go into detail about some of these problems. So being at that conference, it was like session after session, healthcare has racist AI, transportation, I'm like, okay, this is pervasive. Like, this is a wide reaching uh, subject, but I did enjoy that they created a community for people to get together. And like, there are volunteer data scientists looking at COVID data, looking at housing data. Um, there's so many ways to work with other people now that I'm like, oh, it's lucky. I'm, I feel lucky that I'm able to just connect with someone online. Um, hey, let's play with this data. Let's see what we can do together. Yeah, I like the idea of finding the examples of where the algorithm is biased and sharing goes, almost like when you have code of conduct violations, like, hey, this was bad and here's why, so don't do it. Exactly that. And I do think like there is a big, big policy piece here too. Um, I think that's, it's a little bit slow moving, but it, but it is important that we do have like people in Congress who are willing to call these companies out when these things happen. Like I can think of a million examples of how models have been biased, but I couldn't tell you if these companies have fixed it um, or how much they've done to fix it. Like even IBM recently released a facial recognition package and then had, they said it was more diverse, um, you know, and still had to pull it because it was perf still performing pretty badly for darker skinned people. So we have to have some way to really be accountable. I wish there was like an FDA <laughs> for industry models, like despite the fact that they don't necessarily tell you what you can't do, but like it's public, uh, it's public knowledge and you will get public criticism from saying, hey, you know, your algorithm didn't pass this, um, you know, name and shame sometimes I think does work, especially if we're talking about like big policy folks. I like that data accountability organization. Yeah, that's definitely something that'd be nice to have. Yeah, and it is. I know there are there are people kind of working on these things, but I think unfortunately, 
we're just seeing that it's really disparate. Like it's not uh, one organization, one stop shop. There are a lot of like institutes and academia trying to work on these projects. But um, unfortunately, I think it just takes a, a good big, fairly big buy-in from government as well. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for taking time to share with us today. I learned a lot and I really enjoyed it. And thank yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. Any, any cool events coming up that you want people to know about? Oh, what do I have? Um, so I am, uh, Banjo, you mentioned you caught my Juneteenth talk on uh, combating bias in ML. So I will be talking about that at DrupalCon, I believe July 15th. Um, yeah, and that's the big one. Oh, uh, sorry, I've got one more, actually, take it back. Um, I am hosting a diversity in AI panel um, for VentureBeats Transform Conference. So I think that one is June 14th. Um, I think fairly early in the morning, but a very open conversation, just talking about what we do, essentially, about this diversity problem, specifically in AI, and how, um, out of a lot of areas in tech, it seems to be the most gatekept. So um, trying to break some of those barriers and have some good conversation with folks. That's awesome. Victoria, any, any events you want to shout out? Yeah, I've got a Women Who Code DevOps 101, be like a quick 20 minutes talk, and then we'll use the rest of the time for our own personal projects. So I don't know about you, but I've had difficulty focusing on learning new things during the pandemic. I'm like, I need this time to be on the couch. So this is me putting some effort towards actually learning something <laughs> and setting up time to do that. So everyone's invited to come hang out for that. Um, and there's a fireside chat about the value of like creating that inclusive environment for DevOps, right? Um, so Bando, I think you're going to join me on that. That might be next week. So that'll be cool. And that's talking about like why having an environment that's really inclusive where people can collaborate and feel comfortable bringing up ideas and pointing out problems is really beneficial to, you know, creating that DevOps culture and getting automation and all of that. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Thank, thank you guys so much for having me. No, thank you. No. Yeah, I may come ask you to talk for Women Who Code one time. Oh, yeah. I am so down. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I will be talking. Thank you. Thanks again. All right. Have a good night, guys. Thank you. Have a good one.